0: Well, let me just take the few minutes that remain and touch on Ephesians 3 20 and 21 with you and give you one great reason why, after 30 years of highs and lows, challenges, and great seasons of blessing, I'm still committed as a pastor to the local church, to the body of Christ. It's all hidden in Ephesians 3 20 and 21, which is a great passage. It talks about a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. I stop there and remind you that so many of us as people, as Christians, in an individualized Christian culture that, you know we have to fight the instinct that it's still, up, it's still about me. <laughs> a lot of us have used that text as a way of claiming God's power at work in our lives, our individual lives. I think some people have probably overclaimed it as a a verse that guarantees that God will will satisfy your goals, he'll help you meet your objectives, he'll help you expand your financial life, or whatever. But really, that, that text is not written to you as an individual Christian. Notice the pronouns are plural. Now to him who's able to do far more and work within us. It's written to the church at large. It's written to the local church at Ephesus, and it's written for every church, as David reminded us, that is a temple of God. It's written to a church like this. It's about the church. And it says that God is able to do far more than we can ask or think in the church, in the body of Christ right here. It's not an individual promise. It's a corporate one. I'm so grateful for that. We know that that's true because if you look at the first phrase of verse 21, it tells you who he's writing this to and where God will do this far more abundant work. To him be glory, what does it say? In the church, doesn't it? And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. It also says that this wasn't just written to the church in Ephesus, which had great teaching and had the apostle Paul's teaching influence and Timothy's and others. And they were not, it's not just written to one of those first century churches that were really under the spirit. that were really in tune with what God was doing in the old days. No, because it says he'll do it throughout all generations. So God's willing to do it in every church, in every age, in every time, in every place, under every challenge. There are no limits to the fact that God can do amazing things in this church and in every church that seeks him to do it. That's why I come at it every year, because God hasn't cut those verses out of my Bible yet. Every year when I read through, I take a look at the Bible, they're still there. He must still be good for it. Notice it says throughout all generations. It also says that God's never going to stop being faithful to his church, no matter what we face in the future. Everything think about that? Everybody think, well, 2020, glad it's gone. 2021's going to be better. How do you know? 2021 may have challenges and question marks we don't understand yet. The church may go through, more, go through more testing. Well, that's okay because he said he would keep his church and do mighty things in her throughout all generations, circle the word all. Whatever comes in this next generation, this next year, I don't care because God's still showing up and he will show up in this place among us as people. Now, 2021 could be strange, but I know that God will be present and he's going to continue to do one great thing. And this is the point of my message. He's going to continue to show forth his glory. Look at verse 21 to him be glory in the church. In this church, in his churches, he's going to continue to show himself great. That's the point of the message. And it's what I want to remind you of. It's what keeps me coming back to the church. It's one fundamental thing. One point today, you'll see it on the screen behind me. It's the only place in the planet where you can encounter and live for the glory of God. The local church, why is she so blessed? Because it's the only place on the planet where you can encounter and live for the glory of God. It's it's a place that's glory-passionate. I don't know about you. I've lived for a lot of things in my life. I've taken some different turns in my life. I haven't always lived for God's things. I lived for my things. I lived for material things. I lived for ambitious things. I lived for comfortable things. And you know what? God always brought me back to the greatest thing, his glory. And that's where you find it in the church. So what does it mean that the church is the only place where you can encounter and live for the glory of God? Listen to me closely just for a few minutes. First question is, what does it mean? It means that everything a church believes, says, and does should be to the glory of God. When you come to a church, you ought to see things happen that aren't explainable except for the glory of God. When you come to a church, you ought to have your life change in ways you never expected because the glory of God is at work through the preaching and through the people. It means that everything a church believes, says, and does should be to the glory of God. You say, well, Captain Obvious, isn't that pretty clear? No, it isn't. Because as you travel the landscape of churches today, you're going to continue to bump into a lot of things that are really knit around the glory of man. And you know what? We fall prey to that too. Don't you think we're exempt from it? We can fall into that too. Wouldn't you want to be in a church where when you leave a service, not every service, but when you leave service and you're walking in the parking lot to the car and you turn to your spouse, you're not saying, man, that was cool music today. Or, wow, didn't he tell some neat stories? i tell you, a pastor can tell a story. He's seen so many things. Wouldn't you rather instead just be walking to your car and you get in and you turn to each other and one of you says, praise God. Praise the Lord. He really spoke to me today. See, that's the difference. It's not a place of the work of man as attractive as it might be. It's a place of the glory of God. Now, how do we do that? Well, we don't do that. (laughs) That's the whole point of Ephesians three twenty twenty one. Only God does that. He's the only one who's able to do far more abundantly and bring his glory down on a church. And I'm praying he brings his glory down on us in even greater ways in the days to come. And he's brought his glory down in 2020. I just recited to you how he kept his church. He provided for his church. He worked through his church. People still came to Christ here. People still committed to faith here. People still grew in their lives here. People still survived crisis here. People still became more more godly disciples here. People volunteered for new ministry here. New ministry got started here. Everything that is of God was of God. And it worked. And God was in our midst. Everything a church believes, says, and does should be to the glory of God, and and the glory of God should be the reason why it happened. Let us not be a church where if, if the Spirit of God left, we could continue to keep doing most of what we do. You understand the irony of that? I don't want to be that place. Second question, where is that all in the Bible? What does the Bible say about God's glory? Not much time here. Three things. Our great God deserves glory. Psalm 108.5. The psalmist said, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The psalmist said that was his hope that God would be glorified. Notice he goes in two directions. Above the heavens. That's an almost limitless idea to the psalmist. May God get increasing glory, more glory, higher glory, greater glory. May his glory never stop growing in his people. And then he goes wide. He says, let your glory be over all the earth. Let all peoples know about your gospel. Let all peoples know about your greatness. Let all people and more people all the time give you the honor and the worship that you're due. So no limit to the greatness of God's glory, no limit to the, to the breadth of it. Do you know that Psalm 108.5 is a description of what heaven will be? That's what's going to happen. New heavens, new earth, where God is exalted above the heavens and his glory is over all of it. And where does it start? It starts in a place like this, a local church where people, if they want to see glory, can come. And over a period of time, they'll taste glory. I'm not talking about signs and wonders or dramatic light shows on a stage or anything like that. I'm talking about the simple reality of Jesus Christ in your heart that's seen by somebody else. That's glory. Godliness is glory. Battle through for victory is glory. Battling the battles of purity and belief is glory. All of these things is glory. Going through strains and difficulties as a body is glory. Meeting the challenges of a changing and breaking society and not abandoning your faith is glory. Facing fear together is glory. And it's only explainable by a God who's able to do far more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. That's what we're about. God deserves it. Secondly, the world tries to deny it to him. Romans 1 tells us that God shows his greatness through creation. Verse 20 of Romans 1. It's impossible for anybody to have an excuse of saying, I don't believe there's a God. God has given ample evidence, it says. They are without excuse, but that although they knew God, knew God existed, people in general, mankind without Jesus Christ, did not honor him as God. So the world wants to take God's glory and hold it for itself. Why do they do that? Verse 23, they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. This is the blind world we're in today. They see the glory of God, they don't believe in it, and they actually want to rob God of his glory The world will not give God glory. There's only one gathering of people on the planet that will, and that's a local church. Don't ever think that we are wiser when we figure out what the world wants and then give it to them in a local church. That's madness. That's blindness. No, we come from the authority and the essence of who Jesus is, and we bring a changeless Christ to this world of turmoil. May we do that in greater power in the year to come. And finally, remember that in the Bible, it says the true church declares God's glory for him. Ephesians 1, earlier in this epistle, in him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Even an age like this. Why? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Where does God God gain his glory? Only in the church of Jesus Christ. Creation declares he exists, but then there's only people groups like ours that show he exists and who he is through the gospel, and through our demonstration of Christ's character through our surrendered lives. That's how God is glorified. And so we're supposed to let the praise of his glory be seen. So the Bible calls us to that. Final question as I close. Why does all of this matter? Why does it matter that the church is the only place where a person can encounter the glory of God in people's lives and then become a believer and then live out the glory of God in their own life? Why does this reality have such an important place as we go forward? Well, because it teaches us at least two things. One is that obedience to God is essential in the biblical church even if it costs you in results and relationships. I'm speaking here about letting any other agenda control you other than obedience to God. Obedience to God, it's essential. It's where the glory is seen. The world can see many different versions of you and me. The world can see many different versions of what man knits together and tries to throw out there in the face of a chaotic world. But they only will see the glory of God when you and I and we are obedient to him. Even if it costs us, and as I said a number of times from this platform in the last few months, it does appear that there will be a growing cost for us to live Obedient Christian lives. That's okay. We've settled that. Got to remember that. The only way to face it is to settle it. (laughs) And then you know that you know. You've decided. And that's where God's glory is seen. Lastly, it teaches us that the worship of God is essential in the biblical church, even if it comes before practical things. That means. in in these coming days, you being connected to us, whether it's here in person or whether you're part of our online community or however it might be, in a class, in a study, in in an accountability group you've formed with other men or women in our church, however it is, in this coming time, you need to be in the body of Christ. Don't let this artificial separation that the current times seem to create don't let that be a barrier to you being as connected as you can. And we're not going to let that be a barrier to us as leaders and pastors seeking to help that happen. Well, this is the glory of the church for me. I think it is for you too. I've watched your faces as I've explained it and reminded you of it. And I can see Christ in you arising. And you just know that it's true, don't you? You say, wow, pastor, I just don't know, man. There's so many unknown things that are ahead. And this last year, we probably didn't handle everything as well as we could have. Completely agree with that. Things caught us by surprise. We reacted in the best ways we could. And, and yet it was a hard year. But I, rem- I remind you, he's a great God. He was present with us. He'll be present with us again. And he'll do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. That's our hope. And he'll do it throughout all generations. Nothing will approach in the near or the far time that will stop God's glory.